Now the reading tonight is from uh, Job chapter 2. Uh, I'll read uh, verses 11 to 13 and then uh, flip over the page and read chapters 4 and 5. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him, and they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. In chapter 4. Then Adiphaz the Temanite answered and said, If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet who can keep from speaking? Behold, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it has come upon you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen, those who plough iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed." The roar of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of young lions are broken. The strong lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Now a word was brought to me stealthily. My ear received the whisper of it. Amid thoughts from visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, dread came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones shake. A spirit glided past my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Can man be pure before his maker? Even his servants, even in his servants he puts no trust, and his angels he charges with error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who were crushed like the moth. Between morning and evening they are broken to pieces. They perish forever without anyone regarding it. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? Do they they not die and that without wisdom? Call now. Is Is there anyone who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Surely vexation kills the fool, and jealousy slays the simple. I have seen the fool taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling. His children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate, and there is no one to deliver them. The hungry eat his harvest, and he takes out even of thorns, and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor trouble nor does trouble sprout from the ground, that man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upwards. As for me, I would seek God, 
and to God would I commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable, marvellous things without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends waters to the field. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty, so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the schemes of the wily are brought to a quick end. They meet with darkness in the daytime, and grope at noonday as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword of their mouth, and the hand of the mighty. So the poor have hope, and the and injustice shuts her mouth. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore despise not the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. He will deliver you from six troubles. In seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he will redeem you from death. In war, from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the lash of the tongue, and shall not fear destruction when it comes. At destruction and famine you shall laugh, and shall not fear the beasts of the earth. For you shall be in league with the stones of the field and the beasts of the field, and be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is at peace, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. You shall know also that your offspring shall be many, and your descendants as the grass of the earth. You shall come to your grave in a ripe old age, like a sheaf gathered up in its season. Behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear and know it for your good. Please turn back to those chapters that we read, chapters 4 and 5. Some of that that we read might be a bit confusing, Um, But hopefully by the end of tonight we'll understand what this guy Eliphaz was trying to say. Um, Last week we've begun this series looking through the book of Job. uh, And I think that if you really want to get into Job, if you really want to get into this series and you weren't here last week, can I just uh, strongly recommend that you go online and you listen to last week's sermon. It'll really help set up uh, a lot of the key themes in the book of Job. It'll give a bit of context to the, the kind of complex poetry that makes up the vast majority of this book. So please do go online and listen to last week's sermon. Uh, we said last week that this is a book that is all about suffering. And I wanted to argue, uh, and I, I stand by this, that there is no piece of literature in human history that deals with the complex issue of suffering with such emotional honesty, with such intellectual credibility, and with such wise counsel as the book of Job. It really is an extraordinary piece of literature and it's a book that as Christians we desperately need because one of the guarantees, the guarantees of a Christian life is suffering. You see the path of Jesus, to follow Jesus is to follow him on the path of the cross Suffering is inevitable. You live long enough, you will hurt, you will bleed, and others round about you will hurt too. We need to know how are we going to stand strong when those times hit? How are we going to help others 
when those times hit. And the book of Job is absolutely essential. And the thing that I was trying to say last week that the book of Job gives us is not some kind of get out of suffering card. It's not like a balm that tries to soothe the pain of suffering. But what the book of Job wants to give us is one essential resource that we need if we are to endure through life's difficulties, and that is wisdom. That's what this book's all about. How to have wisdom when we are going through suffering, when we are going through trials. Now we're coming to the main bulk of the book. And the main bulk of it is this kind of epic, poetic dialogue between Job and his three friends. Uh, We met them in chapter 2, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Uh, In many ways, these three friends are, are there to encompass the wisdom of the world. They come from all over to meet with Job and to wrestle with this difficult question that we often ask in suffering, why? Why is this happening? Why would God allow this to happen? Now, before we go on to look at the the first of these three three friends, uh, this man, Eliphaz, and what he says, we need to be aware of something key when we're looking at this part of Job. The friends seem wise, but they are rebuked by God for saying the wrong thing. So on the whole, we are to look at what they say as being negative. And Job at the end of the book, is commended by God for saying the right thing. And so we're to look at how Job responds to that as being positive. Just to prove that point, turn with me to the very end of Job. Uh, This is very important for looking at these um, future chapters. Job chapter 42, right at the end of the book. This is where God actually comes down and just after God has spoken to both Job and his friends, And this is what God says. Job 42 verse 7. He speaks to the man we're going to look at tonight, Eliphaz. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends. That's Bildad and Zophar. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So we need to bear that in mind. As we look at this, on the whole, the friends are wrong. On the whole, Job is right. But it's not as black and white as that because wisdom is not as black and white. And so we also need to be aware that there's some stuff that the friends say that is true. Some stuff that they say that is true. Some stuff that they say that's even helpful. And we need to be aware that there's some stuff that Job says which is not true. Some stuff which he says, which he kind of over-exaggerates in terms of what is happening. But on the whole, Job is right and his friends are wrong. Keep that in mind as we study it. Our big aim tonight, what we're going to try and, and get from these passages, is how we comfort those who are suffering. That's the big thing I want to look at tonight. How, how do we comfort people who are hurting and in dark pits of depression and how do we ourselves if we are in that situation find comfort and a life fast will tell us how not to do it and in Job we'll see how we can do it uh, th- let me just say with when we're looking at the book of Job um, a lot of people here will have questions some of it will be real and personal to maybe where you're at just now. Some of it uh, may just be trying to understand the book a bit better. Please do not hesitate 
to ask me or to ask Robin or to ask anyone on the, on the ministry team here in the church any of these questions. If you don't want to ask us in person, please do email uh, and, and ask and be more than happy to get back to you because this is important and we really need to wrestle through some of these issues. So please do ask questions after the service because tonight we're actually going to be looking at something that's really hard and really difficult. Uh, so before we do that, before we look at this, let me just pray uh, and then we'll begin. Father God, thank you for the wisdom that we find in the book of Job. Lord, we need this wisdom. We need it today. Father, I pray for people in our church who are hurting, for those who have faced the tragedy of losing a loved one. Father, for those who are struggling with depression. Father, I pray for those who are finding life difficult at the moment, whether it be through family or work or various other circumstances. Father, I do not know, but you do. You know everyone here in this room and you know what's going on in their lives. Father, regardless of where we are at at the moment, we need this wisdom. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us tonight through your word, that we would be submissive to the authority of your word, that we would find comfort in what we see in your word. And Father, help us to be good comforters and to help others as they go through difficult times in their life. Father, may we have the faith of Job who said to you that even if you were to slay him, he would hope in you. May that be true of us here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Now on your service sheet, uh, you'll see three points which should try and... um, which should be helpful as we navigate through this passage. I've called this sermon Miserable Comforters. It's not a title I made up. This is what Job describes his friends as uh, in chapter 16, verse 2. Miserable comforters are you all. And so the first point there that I want us to look at from these two chapters is the useless comfort of a religious friend. That's in chapters 4 and 5. The poetry is a bit confusing. You can sometimes get lost in the wordplay. It is a poem. It's not written like a narrative. Uh, So hopefully what I've got on your service sheet there will help you as we navigate through this. Uh, You'll need to have your Bible in hand because we're going to go through it fairly quickly. So this man alive has. This is the first piece of counsel, the first piece of comfort that is given to this poor suffering believer Job. And this is what Eliphaz says first of all in verses 2 to 11, Job, my friend, you need to be mindful that God does not cause the innocent to suffer. You need to be mindful that God does not cause the innocent to suffer. Job, you need to remember that people always reap what they sow. And he begins his speech very kindly. He says, if one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet who can keep from speaking? Behold, you, Job, you have instructed many, and you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have upheld upheld him who was stumbling, and you have made firm the feeble knees. And he's saying, look, Job, my friend, remember. Remember how, how you used to counsel those who were going through hard times. How you used to comfort them. Well, don't be impatient with me. Because I'm about to do the same to you too. You need that counsel that you yourself used to offer. And remember that key principle which both you and I know. Verse 7. 
Who that was innocent ever perished, Job? Or where were the upright cut off? As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. And so Eliphaz is saying to Job, look, look, we know that suffering just isn't random, that it doesn't just happen for no reason. God has done this. God has inflicted this upon you. So you must have done something wrong. You always reap what you sow. Innocent people, they do not perish. They do not get cut off. God will cut down even the fiercest person because he is angry at them. See, Eliphaz essentially saying, Job, God's angry at you. And you must have done something. You must have done something to merit that. doesn't make sense all that's happened to you unless God is angry at you. So remember, be mindful of that. Secondly, Eliphaz says, Job, you need to be, be realistic. Be realistic about God's power and your weakness. Now, what Eliphaz does here in, in chapter 4, verse 12, uh, it's, it's really weird. He kind of describes this weird, mystical vision. Eliphaz is, views himself as this religious and wise guru, and he's saying, Job, let me tell you about this vision I had and this figure who appeared before me. And he was reminded in that vision that no one can be right before God. He states in verse 18, even the angels aren't trustworthy. What therefore would God have to do with you, Job? He is great. You are small. He is immortal. You are mortal. You need to be realistic about this. There is no, there's no one, Job, who's going to stand between you and God Call now, verse 1, he says, chapter 5. Call. Who will answer you? He expects the answer to be no one. So, verse 2 of chapter 5. Job, don't be vexed. Don't be vexed and angry. Stop these passionate outbursts. Because that is what fools would do. And you know what happens to fools, Job? See what Eliphaz says? By the way, just notice how insensitive... Eliphaz is here. Um, he's speaking to a friend who has just lost his children through a horrific ordeal. And Eliphaz says, chapter 5, verse 4, about the fool, his children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate and there is no one to deliver them. He's saying, that's you, Job. You've been the fool here. You need to be realistic. Verse 6, affliction doesn't just come from, from nowhere. It's not random suffering. It doesn't just sprout up from the ground. But, but affliction and suffering, they come as a result of human sinfulness. So just as sparks defy gravity and flow up in the air, so human sin leads to terrible suffering. Be realistic, Job. You know this. God is far off and distant. And you are a small, weak, sinful human being. Don't think you're greater than you are. Finally, Eliphaz says, Job, you need to be submissive to God's discipline of you. Be submissive. You know, in light of all that I've said, Eliphaz says to Job, Job, you know, this is what I would do if I were you. Verse 8. If I were you, Job, I, this is what I would do. I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. 
You see, God is great and powerful, and he is just and good. He does not let wickedness go unpunished, and he helps those who are humble and needy. So, verse 17, blessed are you if God reproves you. Therefore, do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. Isn't that a wonderful verse? That's a wonderful verse of Scripture. In fact, so much of what we see in Eliphaz's speech is pretty good. And he closes his speech with this very moving poem about how God blesses those who do not reprove his discipline. Wonderful poem. And he finishes in verse 27 by saying this. Hear this, Job. Behold, this we have searched out. We, the wise among you, we have thought about this. We have searched it out. And this is good counsel. Hear it and know it for your own good. So in summary, Eliphaz says to his suffering friend Job, remember we left him last week sitting on a pile of rubbish, cutting himself with a piece of broken pottery, not because he's self-harming, but because he has got this horrible skin disease in which he's trying to scrape the boils off his skin. He has lost everything. He is in agony. And Eliphaz says, Job, my friend, you know as well as I that God does not cause innocent people to suffer. He is great and mighty, and we are small and weak, and therefore you must have done something wrong to deserve this. You must have. What is happening to you now is God's discipline of you. Therefore, don't fight against it, but submit to it, come back to him, and he will bless you. So what's wrong with this advice? Because there's much that's good here. You know, it's, it's true. In some sense, you reap what you sow. That's true. Sometimes suffering comes out as a result of something that you have done in life. Sometimes, you know, if you're suffering illness because you're a drug addict, that's a result of something that you have done. You reap what you sow. The Bible says that elsewhere. In some sense, that's true. The Bible also says elsewhere that suffering can be used as a form of discipline from God. Also true. You see, the problem here, though, with the life as his counsel is that it's totally misapplied. This is not what is happening to Job. See, Eliphaz and his friends, Bildad and Zophar, will see this. They're going to say pretty much the same thing every week. They cannot comprehend in their thinking, they cannot comprehend this, that God would allow an innocent person to suffer. Suffering has to come as a result of something that Job has done. Bad things happen to you because you have done something bad, and good things will happen to you if you do something good. And at the end of his speech, Eliphaz seems to be saying, you know, Job, if you just had enough faith in God, he would bless you. He would give you more children. That's what he says. How insensitive he is. Can you hear the voice of Satan behind the counsel of Eliphaz? Satan's not gone now in the book of Job. Remember from last week where Satan said to Job, uh, where Satan said about Job that, that Job doesn't love God for himself. Job loves what God can give him. And Eliphaz seems to be appealing to that. Come to God and look what God can give you. Because you get what you deserve. And there is something very appealing about that way of thinking. You know, some of you may have seen 
the film The Sound of Music. If you were here last week, um, Robin talked about going to see it in the theatre and it made him cry. Uh, I want to cry because of the bad theology that is in The Sound of Music. If you have seen the film, you may remember that Julie Andrews sings a song after learning that the handsome Captain Von Trapp uh, has fallen in love with her. And so she sings these words. It's not as good as the poetry in Job, but this is it. For here you are standing there loving me, whether or not you should. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. See, Eliphaz would have loved the sound of music. Him and... Him and Julie Andrews could have made sweet poetry together, uh, and Robin could have wept. Uh, and, but just so you know, just so you know, that's not true. That's not how life works, is it? You do good, good things happen to you. You do bad, bad things happen to you. We'd love to have that because we'd love to, to tie suffering up in a, in a nice, neat bow and say that we know what's happening. We know how it's working. We'd love to be like Eliphaz to our friends that are suffering and give them all the answers. What foolish counsel that would be. I've seen the counsel of Eliphaz so many times amongst religious people and churches. Oh, if you just have enough faith, God will make you better. That's not true. Remember the Boxing Day tsunami? 2004. Remember church leaders going on the radio saying that this is an act of God's judgment against the beach resorts in Thailand. How do you know? How do you know? To say that you know the answer to suffering is folly. You don't know what God is doing. And the flip side, there's a flip side to this. To say that there is no answer is also folly. You see, the religious mindset would love to have answers to all the questions and suffering. But the secular mindset says, well, there is no answer. Suffering's just random and pointless. There's no answer, so don't worry about it. Don't think about it. Because again, how do you know? You can't see a point, so therefore there mustn't be a point. Is that true? How can any of us know? You see, the folly of Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar is that they want to give a pat answer to Job's situation. We can't give pat answers, but that doesn't mean that there's no answer. So what can we do? What counsel, what counsel do we give to those in the throes of suffering, those in the darkness of depression as Job is here? Well, first, let's do what Eliphaz seems not to have done. Let's actually listen to what Job himself says. Look at chapter 6 with me. Just read verse 1 to 10. This is the second point on your sheet, the painfully honest response of a depressed believer. And Job answered and said, Oh, that my vexation were weighed, and all my calamity laid in the balances, for then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass or the ox low over his fodder? Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? My appetite refuses to touch them. There is food that is loathsome to me. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope. 
that would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. So remember what Eliphaz said in chapter 2, verse 5? In all his wisdom, he said, Job, vexation kills the fool. And Job says here, vexation, you have no idea of the pain that I am going through. I am vexed. I am vexed. And if you were to take all my vexation, all my pain, and you were to bottle it up somehow, it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. See, far from being a fool, Job's vexation is the only appropriate response to what has happened to him. Job is, Job is filled with a, with a tiring anger that seems to sap all his energy and any desire that he has for life itself is lost in the blackness of what he is feeling. Such misery, such emptiness, and such anger is an unbearable torment for this man of God. Here is a man who is depressed, who's right at the end of his tether. And what causes this? Job tells us in verse 4 it's God. Job thinks it's God. It's God. It's his arrows that have pierced him. It's the poison of which has infected his whole body so that his spirit seems lifeless. It's the torment and the terrors of God that Job feels are directed against him. Job feels like he is under the overwhelming burden of the wrath of God and it is crushing him. What hollow and tasteless words, Job says, about Eliphaz. It's hollow and it's tasteless what you have told me in light of what's happening. Eliphaz said, well, if only you turn back to God, Job, everything would be fine. And Job's saying here, I never turned away from God. I am not fine. I am not blessed. He is torturing me. And the only thing that comforts me is the truth that I know that I have not turned away from him. I have not done anything wrong to deserve this. I have not denied the words of the Holy One. But I can't hold on much longer. That's what he seems to be saying here. That's why he says, God, I have one hope that you would just kill me. Because I am holding on to the ledge of your grace. And I fear that I might deny your words. I fear that I might sin. So please God, please, please, just kill me. My only hope, Job says, is that God would crush me. That's not an exaggeration. That is what this man is feeling right now. This is the dark pit of depression that seems very hopeless. And it's where many a believer in God has been. And undoubtedly, many people in this church have been here and maybe might be here at this moment. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's, it's highly likely. And this is hard to talk about because it's such a complex issue. And like all forms of suffering, we cannot do what a life has does and provide the solution so what do you do if this is you here tonight? If this is you here, or if this will be you, maybe it will, maybe it will. 
where you will just feel so low that all you want is death. I actually think there's five really helpful pieces of wisdom that we can learn from what Job himself says here. Firstly, Job is emotionally honest. He is emotionally honest. It would be a shame. It would be a shame if everyone here tonight thought that they had to put their face on when they came to church. You know, it's not, don't get me wrong, it's not appropriate to be emotionally honest with everyone. It's just not. Um, You wouldn't do that. But at the same time, you've got to have good Christian friends that you're willing to be emotionally honest with about how you feel. If you feel far from God, it's hard. But it's important we recognize that we're all broken. None of us have it together. And sometimes we may feel like we're falling away from God. And sometimes it's wise to tell someone that's how you're feeling. That's what Job does. Secondly, Job questions God. Job is not just emotionally honest with with his friends. He's emotionally honest with God himself. Verse um, 8 is, it's a prayer. And he does this. Job, in his speeches, will go between speaking to his friends, rebuking them for their their stupidity, and, and praying to God. These agonizing prayers. And if we are in the, that that darkness of depression, prayer is essential, even if we do not feel like that. Pray what you are feeling to God. Pray the blackness. Pray pray the the lostness to him. Romans 8 tells us that that even when we feel that we don't know what, what to pray, God helps us by his Holy Spirit and intercedes for us. Pray to God and voice your feeling to him. Thirdly, and it's very important, Job never considers suicide as his answer. He never considers that as his answer because Job recognizes that, that his life is ultimately in God's hands. And, and although he is frustrated and angry, he is always submitting to the authority of God. Now, don't mishear this. Suicide is not the unforgivable sin as some people have foolishly uh, portrayed in churches. All sin is atoned by the blood of Jesus. It's not the unforgivable sin. It's not something that, that you could never go, that, that somehow God um, will overlook everything and, and just punish that one thing. That's not true. It's not the unforgivable sin. And there are Christians who have got that far. But it's not the answer. It's not the answer. And Job, make no mistake, does want to die. But he will always submit himself to the authority of God. Fourthly, and this is why he submits himself to the authority of God. Fourthly, Job's only comfort is that he is holding on to God's word. It's his only comfort. Job, do you notice, in in his anger and his frustration and his anguish, doesn't use what is happening to him as an opportunity to rebel against God, to somehow throw it back in God's face. He doesn't try and get back at God for what he feels that God has inflicted upon him. Because all that he has to hold on to is his faithfulness. And he will not lose that. If that were God, then he would have nothing. And finally, let me say this. You can learn about Job. What you feel about God in times of depression and anguish is not always true. 
And I say that because there's stuff that Job says here that is not true. You see, the arrows of God are not pointed against him. The wrath of God is not upon Job. That's what he feels, but it's not true. And often when you're depressed and down, you can speak of things as being certain that aren't certain. Because that's what you feel. Job will change as we, as we read through this book. This is his only hope now seems to be death, but he will change. And he'll start to hold on to something that becomes so precious to him. And so this is not the end point for where Job is at. There's a progression. And actually at the end of the book, what he'll do when God speaks is Job will put his hand over his mouth and will say, I have said things about God that weren't true. And I shouldn't have said. This is not the end. This is a complex issue. Especially when it comes on the back of such pain and suffering. And it's not something as a Christian you will ever be immune from. And this is why. This is why the church is so important. Because we need to comfort and counsel each other. The church is the primary means by which God takes care of his people. It's not a place full of Eliphazes and Bildads and Zophars. Hopefully, this church will be full of wise people. We need to be there for each other. And I mean what I said at the start about the questions that you may have off the back of this series. If we're with someone like this, if you know someone like this, don't try and give them all the answers. Just care for people. Feed them. Have them over. The best thing Eliphaz did was when he sat quietly with Job for seven days and didn't say a word. Be with them. Weep with them. Read the Bible together. Share life together. That's not easy. And if you've ever been with a friend who who is in that moment of depression, it is not an easy thing to sit down with them. It's not an easy thing to sit down and read the book of Job because that's where he's at. Do you know that, that hymn that we just sung before I got up to speak was written by William Cooper. What wonderful words. That was a man who tried to kill himself four times because he suffered such unimaginable depression. A believer in God and a Christian man. And do you know who really helped William Cooper? It was his friend John Newton who wrote the um, hymn Amazing Grace. I thought it was very appropriate that we sang Cooper's hymn to the tune Amazing Grace. Uh, John Newton really stayed with William Cooper in these dark, dark times where he was a very difficult person to get along with. And perhaps the most important thing, and Cooper would say this all the time, the most important thing that Newton did for him And the most important thing that any of us can do for a suffering believer is to never tire of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Not flippantly, but sensitively and wisely. Let Jesus saturate your conversation if you are to be a wise comforter and counselor. Because Jesus is the only one that can bring the comfort we need in this broken world. And that's just the final point, very briefly to close with. The ultimate comforter of the wonderful counselor. That's what Jesus is called in Isaiah 9. Wonderful counselor. See, what's, do you know what's fundamentally wrong with a life as his counsel? Firstly, in his theology, there's no room for the concept of grace. See, according to a life as you get what you deserve. Well, grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve his love and compassion and acceptance 
So there's no room for grace in Eliphaz's thinking. And therefore, secondly, there's no room for the cross in Eliphaz's thinking. The innocent sufferer doesn't factor in to what Eliphaz says. Look at that, chapter 4, verse 7. Who being innocent, Eliphaz says, ever perished? Or where, where, Job, were the upright ever cut off? Oh, Eliphaz, you fool. Because not only is that what's happening to your friend right now, that is what will happen to your God. See, Job, and this is how we'll always end these series, Job is a picture of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was the perfect, innocent, suffering servant of God. And I'm convinced that one of the purposes of us studying this book is not just how can we benefit, but how do we see Christ in this? Because that is what will be our ultimate benefit from this. Job was not perfectly innocent, but Jesus was. And yet Jesus suffered so much more than Job, so much more than any of us ever, ever will. Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 42. Go home and read that after the service. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane the night before he is about to be crucified. And what do we see of Jesus in Mark's gospel as we study this in the gospel project? He is confident. He seems almost untouchable. He's driving out demons. He's stopping the storm with his voice. And yet in Mark 14, he is on his knees in torment and in agony. And like Job, his three friends have left him. And like Job, he says, my soul is sorrowful to the point of death. There is something that happens in Gethsemane that torments the Son of God. And it's the fact that he is about to take the wrath and the anger of God for our sin and wrongdoing upon himself. He falls to his knees and he cries out, Father, take this cup away from me. If there's any other way to save them here in this room in Chalmers Church, if there's any other way, then please show me. But please, please take the cup of your wrath away from me. Because even thinking about it is an unbearable torment. See, at Gethsemane, Jesus looks into the fiery furnace of God's anger and he recognizes that if we are to be saved from it, he has to be cast into it. And that terrifies him. Job exaggerated. The arrows of the Almighty were not inflicted upon him. The terrors of God were not arranged against him, but they literally were for Jesus Christ. They were for him. An anxiety and a torment that no human has ever felt on this earth. You see, the amazing thing about the love of Christ for us is that he didn't face his death without fear or anguish. The amazing thing is that he faced it terrified and tormented. So if you're suffering, then you must fix your eyes on the suffering Jesus and what he has done for you. See, the most dangerous thing with suffering and depression is to become introspective. The book of Job warns against that. There is something bigger, there is something more important than what you and I may be feeling. But that doesn't mean that God is necessarily cold or distant to our plight. Because look at him. Look at him in the garden for us. And let's all of us here, let our counsel and our comfort be shaped by the cross, not making the mistake of a life as. We point always to the truly innocent sufferer, Jesus Christ, to his love, to his grace, and to his mercy expressed to us 
who deserve nothing but his judgment. Let's pray. Father, thank you that through the suffering of Jesus there is hope for us. Everlasting, eternal, unfading hope that Satan cannot steal from us, that our sin cannot take away. A hope that is grounded in the love of Christ which is inseparable and which nothing in all creation could ever tear us away from. Thank you that because we see hope and light through the suffering of Jesus, we know that there's hope for us through our pain. Father, help us to be wise. We don't want to give pat answers and foolish comments as if we know exactly what's going on. Help us just to submit to your authority, not to give all the answers, but not to think that there is no answer and to focus on Jesus to help us through these dark times. Father, we need him desperately, all of us. I pray that we would hold on. We would hold on with all our strength when it feels that life is just wearing us down and that we would endure and bring glory to his name. Father, give us the wisdom, the strength, the counsel, and the comfort. Help us to to care for one another, to be the church, and to do it all for the sake of Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.